we conclude this incredible series on the African continental free trade, we have a discussion with Buhani and Emma in which we look forward towards the implementation of this trade agreement and more so given our learnings from the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, we attempt to draw a connection between the trade agreement with other global treaties, for example, the EU and Brexit. Bohani, there has been an economic slowdown and reduction in growth across the region brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic. Economic growth in sub-Saharan Africa was predicted to have fallen to minus 3.3% in 2020, pushing the region into its first recession in 25 years. How do you anticipate the implementation of the FCFTA will change given our learnings from the pandemic? Thank you very much. A, a great question as well. So maybe let's take a step back, right? Um, you know, the, a lot of African economies were growing. In fact, I think about six out of top 10 fastest growing economics uh, economies before the pandemic hit were African, right? Ethiopia, Ghana, and a few others in there. And then, and, 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 and we at the point looked at the free trade area as another accelerator, an opportunity to further accelerate the growth of the, of the region, African regional economy, as well as the individual economies. The pandemic hits, when the pandemic hits, it shifts focus immediately, right? This is why instead of implementing the free trade area in the 1st of July last year, it was then moved to the 1st of Jan this year, because naturally, as the economies were hit, and the issue here was that you, you then were dealing with both what was the supply side and the demand side, uh, economic impact or impact on the economy. And as a result of that, shifts, economy, sorry, focus shifts um, immediately to how do we preserve uh, lives, really? <laughs> how do we preserve, you know, whatever is left of the economy? Uh, how do we support, uh, you know, stakeholders who have lost income uh, and sources of, uh, sources of income to be able to and, you know, survive through the pandemic. So naturally, the, the focus shifted. Now, however, um, even it's, and, and, and I think there were lots of fears in terms of, you know, because there was a lot of uncertainty, the question was, at what point are we going to pivot and get back to thinking about the free trade area? But, you know, as they say, there's always a silver lining somewhere. What the pandemic actually demonstrated was that, firstly, because ports were closed and, you know, airports were closed uh, and, and, you know, goods and services stopped moving. And all of a sudden, if you remember, as the crisis started, we needed PPEs as the continent and we couldn't access them, right? Yeah. We couldn't get masks. We couldn't get all of these kinds of because the global shipping industry had grounded to a halt. Now, the silver lining in that is that it demonstrated the urgent need for us to be self-sustainable as a region. It demonstrated the urgent need to create our own regional value chains and de-risk businesses having to de-risk the supply chains from the global risks that continue to this day, much more to local and replace that with local suppliers. And I think 
what is important about what the pandemic has created is that if anything at all, I think it's accelerating in the continent the requirement and the need to be able to create our own industries, the health sector, uh, you know, manufacturing of PPEs and all of these kinds of things. So, so, so whilst at the beginning there was a negative, a hugely negative impact, I think as, as, the, as, as time moved on, as time moved on, excuse me, as time moved on, I think what we, we then realize is that, wait a little bit, here is an opportunity for us to start to accelerate the implementation of the free trade area because part of what the free trade area will mean is that it will mean the creation of the regional value chains and will start to, to replace this dependency that we've had on certain parts of the world in as far as, um, you know, the supply of essential, even essential goods and services, right? I think, and of course, there's the usual of what we know, which is the fact that we're a very rich continent to produce a lot, you know, uh, agriculture is quite key. I mean, we've got very rich <coughs> countries, um, you know, mining, and, and the fact that we don't add a lot of value add, um, uh, you know, no beneficial, all of these kinds of things. So my view is, and we're already seeing a lot of, you know, if you cut through the noise, by the way, <laughs> if you cut through the noise, which is important when when we look through these things, when it, it, it's important to cut through the noise. If you cut through the noise, you start to see investments happening across the continent, right? And I think that's that's very important. And those investments are important because you're starting to see lots of corporates, lots of global corporates, seeing the opportunity that is created by the single the the the, the free trade area. What are those opportunities? It creates a single standard. It makes sure that you can trade the goods. You can you can actually uh, take advantage, for example, uh, have a manufacturing center in Ethiopia um, and still be able to move the goods in East Africa without incurring additional costs in terms of duties and quotas. That is very important, right? It's very important. So, so, so I think what I'm seeing is, though at the beginning there was a challenge, you're starting to see an increased focus on investments on a lot of, you know, I speak, I've spoken in a few forums actually, where what the global corporates are interested in is what is the benefit for me as a treasurer for me to base the the factory uh, in one of the countries in Africa? Because previously what I needed to deal with was 54 different regimes, tax regimes, right? You know, if I if I started a factory in Kenya, mm. moving the goods from Kenya by road to Uganda, I was going to be taxed differently. To Tanzania, I was going to be taxed differently. To Burundi, I was going to be taxed differently. To Rwanda, I was going to be taxed differently. And to Ethiopia, I was going to be taxed differently. Right now, when we say now in the free trade area, is that now you're going to apply zero tariffs on ninety percent of the goods that are co- are produced in the com- in in the continent? The rules of origin issue, very important. So ninety percent of the goods and services produced in there. We're saying so. If I'm a treasurer, I now know that the costs 
that I need to be interested in are now just transport costs, interestingly, uh, because they still remain and we need to, to get better at that. And, and, you know, as the free trade, as the secretariat and the commission itself has been focusing on the eradication or the gradual eradication of non-tariff barriers, it becomes quite important that we become competitive in that as well. So, so as a treasurer, I think it's going to be easier for me. And again, I link this to the discussion we're just having now, right, about cross-border payments. Mm. Is that if I'm able to therefore even shift and move the funds, not shift, shift is the wrong way, move the funds, you know, across, you know, the various, to, you know, as, as I sell and as I buy and sell, I'm able to move the funds into a central treasury function that is sitting in the continent, that becomes even quite easier. So there's issues around what currency of trade is and all of those kinds of things, right? I mean, that's, that's another subject on its own. So, but for me, what is very clear is a lot of GCs or global corporates, a lot of large local corporates, a lot of regional corporates in Africa are seeing the opportunity that is created by the zero tariff regime on 90% of the goods from a treasurer's perspective, from a manufacturing perspective, and from just making sure that as a business, we are getting in a lot of efficiencies in our production processes. Wow, awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you, you, I think I'm excited to note that global corporates are interested in the opportunities that the AFCFTA are, are bringing in place. Um, one of the buzzing topics as we are embarking on the AFCFTA is the, exit, is the exiting of Britain from the EU um, in drawing a connection between the trade agreement on the continent and global trade treaties. What can we learn from the EU and Brexit? I think what we can do, quite, quite a number of lessons, right? I mean, this is a subject as well that has been interrogated a lot and I've been part of various discussions on this. But very clearly from the first thing we discussed or one of the first things we discussed is when you talk about a free trade area, which is, by the way, you know, a, a point at a journey towards full economic integration, right? <clears throat> what is important is ensuring that the benefits of the free trade areas are not concentrated on a few big uh, countries. Now, if you look at the EU, for example, there has always been very strong, you know, view that it benefits you know, the bigger economies such as Germany, such as France, um, and that some of the countries were not necessarily benefiting. And you must remember that a lot of the members of the EU are part of the euro, which is a different, you know, the monetary union, whereas the UK, as part of the EU, was still its own, you know, still ran its own monetary system, um, you know, in terms of the pound. Now, I think what is important is, you know, the free trade area has to be seen as creating an opportunity, equal opportunity, and this sounds political, but equal opportunities for all member states of the EU, uh, for all member states that have signed off to the, that have signed up to the 
to the to the free trade area. I think it's gonna be seen to be creating opportunities at an equal basis, um, creating an equal platform. And that perception is very important. And this is why I think, you know, the view that and the particular um, uh, you know, initiative around what you do with the least developed countries was very important, right? I think the second lesson that we can draw uh, from that, from that um, uh, <laughs> divorce uh, called Brexit is also the fact that you can't keep pushing things out in terms, you can't keep kicking the ball out. You've got to think about and listen to some of the issues that are being raised, even by those that you think um, are raising issues that are non-issues, right, uh, from within the country. So I think it's, it will be very important to be able to make sure that the benefits of the free trade area don't just accrue to the uh, elite in the countries themselves. One of the things that need to be addressed is, and we talk about this all the time, right, uh, the level of inequality, because... The level of inequality is what will drive a lot of ordinary people to question, for example, a country's association and mm. participation in the free trade area. Because you would mm. think yep. that if wealth is, if, if the free trade area is supposed to generate wealth, as is expected to generate wealth for countries, if that wealth is actually uh, not distributed in a fair manner, within members of those countries, within citizens in the countries, mm. we're going to have to see, we will see revolution starting, yeah. right? Mm. Um, so, so, so I do think that, for me, the two critical lessons we can pick from there is making sure that we are very deliberate about how the free trade area benefits all countries, more so the least developed and the smaller countries. Two, we then need to make sure that we keep dealing the issues that even people that we think are just skeptics raise because, you know, it's quite easy for these things to catch fire. And then, and then you end up with a revolution in the country, um, you know, and country decides to go on a referendum and says mm-hmm. we're out of the free trade area. Mm-hmm. So, so my view is that should help in terms of that. I mean, there's, there's multiple things that many other things, but I, I believe these top two things are the lessons we can draw from there. Brexit, uh, uh, you know, experience. Well, Emmanuel, having concluded the signing ceremony and having lodged in January, what now? What current activities are ongoing to actualize the free trade? I'm, 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 very, I'm very happy that um, Alan mentioned the issue of the Africa Trade Observatory because it is true that there is uh, the Africa Trade Observatory has been set up by the AU and some donors to ensure, to help this reporting mechanism, uh, uh, you know, to, to help honor individuals connect and be able to have their say when they have challenges. Uh, I think UNCTAD uh, led very heavily on this as well. Uh, I think they have a website, tradebarriers.co, that allows ordinary individuals to connect to re- report challenges that they experience with customs and so on. We recently had one of our members uh, have their customs. They're, they're trying to take something from one West African country to another. And the figures were bloated like six, seven times over. And when they mentioned after to the customs officials, they, they looked at her and <laughs> said, after what? You know, after it was only just started, we are still 
adopting the old system. So you hear things like that and you're wondering, why won't this person be discouraged that after maybe nothing really is going to change? So these are the reasons why the, not the trade barriers website exists and the, uh, you know, the, the non, the, the, the non-trade barriers reporting mechanism is there. But once again, awareness raising and awareness creation on these things is so very important because even the, um, African Trade Observatory, I've tried it two or three times trying, and there are some glitches and challenges with it. Uh, I think the data sets that will allow it to be fully functional uh, need to be revised. Uh, the, the technicians behind the website need to take a look at it and see how it would really fit for the ordinary individual with slow, with data that does not always work very well and see how they can make it uh, uh find different ways in which it can be adopted. Because I think I'd like to think that uh, the Africa Trade Observatory, for example, can be used on a, a mobile phone. And you don't need to necessarily have a sophisticated smartphone for it. To, you, you wouldn't expect the trader at the border to have a sophisticated smartphone. So there should be a USSD system, for example, that would allow them to use the Africa Trade Observatory in a way that... Uh, someone who's using a more sophisticated smartphone can use it. So there, there are still things, there are still things that can be improved on, on some of these things that after process has, has unpacked. Um, we, we know that there's African trade observatories there, but we also know that there is uh, a lot of sensitization that is going on. In Ghana, for example, we know that sensitization was going on in different regions, uh, across the country. And we also know that, uh, um, other, member states are doing that sensitization in their own uh, countries as well, whether it's through the Ministry of Trade and so on and so forth. Of course, some of us would like to think that the sensitization should have started long before the after, you know, started on 1st January 2021, but it's better late than never. So number one, awareness creation and continued awareness creation is very, very important. People need to test these systems, the Africa Trade Observatory, the, non- the, the, the Trade Barriers website, to see whether it is even working and then to report and to have the technicians get back to them and fix these things on the website. Uh, so those are some of the things, the technology, it's, it's been a very technology-based led after process from our view. We see that um, the, the Pan-African payment settlement systems is also going to come on stream very soon. Uh, like I said, though, awareness creation on that is poor. So we don't really know how that is going to work whether Afrix and Bank is going to issue a press release and say this is how it's going to be done. There should be some practicalities around it. Uh, so for, for, for some of us, those are some of the challenges that we are seeing, even though they want to um, make after work, you know, and see it, uh, get it seen to be working, there are still challenges. For example, the other thing is the certificate of origin. Rules of origin we know are the critical things that will make after what it is. There's Conversations around value addition. What is it, for example, about your cocoa that will be different in Ghana than it will be from Cote d'Ivoire? You know, because both of us produce, both countries produce cocoa. So what will, will it be about Ghana cocoa that will be different, um, you know, with Cote d'Ivoire's cocoa that will be uh, useful for Exports on the on the on the continent. So those are the kind of conversations that we still need to to have, not only at the regional level but at the continental level, to see, you know, how AFTA can really be made more efficient. Um, the rules of origin, 
we already know about that, but there still needs to be a lot of education about that. The other thing is the certificates are, uh, of origin. The certificates that traders need to be able to say that I'm exporting under AFTA. Not all countries have been able to do that. Uh, I did a dry run of countries that possessed it on their website about three, about a month or two ago. And it was only Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, uh, Mauritius. Even Seychelles, that has been a great advocate of uh, AFTA, did not have one. But those are the four or five countries only had the certificate of, uh, AFTA certificate of origin to say that they can export across the border with AFTA. Uh, and yet we are 55 member states. So how come that is taking so much time? Is it something that our Ministry of Trade and Industry is not doing across the region? And if not, what is it that the, uh, you know, forums like the African Ministers of Trade can do to whip up, you know, uh, member uh, tr- trade ministers to get this going? We're talking about after Ghana was able to export uh, on 1st January 2021 to South Africa, goods from Casapreco. But how, how, what has been the progress from other countries since then? Why should it just be Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, or Mauritius? There needs to be other countries that are following suit, and it needs to, be, it needs to happen very quickly. So for, for me, even as we have seen very important progress, uh, at least the after certificate of origin exists, so that is good, but it needs to be replicated very quickly across the, con- uh, across the continent. Number two, Awareness creation needs to still happen, and it needs to be done in different sectors, private sector, public sector, market sector, uh, cross-border trader sector, et cetera, et cetera. Thirdly, also, uh, we need to ensure that the technology-based things that exist, the Trade Barriers website, the Africa Trade Observatory, are working. And then can there be softer and lighter versions that can be accessed on mobile phones, uh, that are not smartphones so that people can also complain, make complaints on whether it's working. You know, the, the information needs to be fast. Then finally, something that is not part of, that AFTA has not been really talking about, is the digital divide. All of us need data to be able to make these Zoom things, uh, conversations and interviews and so on, but so do the traders. If the, if the quality of their data is poor, uh, then they will not get the necessary information that that they need. So I think an important conversation with telcos, the MTNs, the Airtels, and all these things on ensuring that the quality of their data is also good should, should happen as we begin to move on, on, on with this uh, whole after trading system because we, we, we are now a technology-based society. We should not get to the stage where we are talking about inclusiveness and yet people are still lost in a digital divide that is ever widening because the data is, is, is the, the data that happen that will work well in the city works very poorly in the, in the, you know, in the farmyards in, in granny, granny's, uh, you know, then. So that is the kind of conversation I think we should be also having one with the telcos to make sure that if there needs to be sanctions put in place, in this area of after, that the data should be quality, failing which uh, sanctions will be placed on them by the AU's telecommunications organization or something, then that also needs to happen. I, I don't think I've seen that conversation being had yet. 
And if it has not been, maybe you as a lawyer can pick it up and take it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, th- that's how I would end my submission. Wow. Thanks so much, Buhani. And thank you so much to Alan and to Emmanuel who've been with us on this panel. Do we have closing remarks from you, Buhani? Yeah, thank you very much. I think my closing remarks is uh, that, look, um, the free trade area is going to be a reality. It's not going to be a walk in the park. Uh, But we need as many believers, if I may use that word, as possible, uh, as many people who are going to be driving the agenda, because this is one of the biggest opportunities of growth for the continent in a very long time. And one of the reasons why I remain very excited about the free trade area is that the free trade area, it's one of those initiatives which is not driven by just one part or one sector of society. It's not driven by the regulators. It's not driven by government. It's not driven by the private sector. It's driven by everyone because everyone stands to benefit. Businesses would participate in the free trade area not because they are being charitable. No, 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 no. In actual fact, there is a great economic opportunity. We're talking about an integration of 54 markets here. Hopefully the 55th comes on on stream as well. 54 markets that generates trillions of dollars of value. We're talking about over a billion people in terms of the market. That is one of the fastest growing um, economies in terms of the regional economies historically before COVID. And hopefully once things have stabilized, we'll continue to see that. So in actual fact, there is a real opportunity that a lot of global businesses are seeing in the free trade area in Africa. And I think it is time for Africans to see the same opportunity that the global corporates and the global players are seeing in Africa. And and the talk about Africa being the next uh, growth engine of the world, it's not just talk, it's reality. If you look at the numbers that we're talking about, if you look at the opportunities that we're talking about, these are real things. But I think sometimes as Africans, we get consumed by a lot of negativities. We get consumed by, you know, how... Corruption, of course, those things are important. It's very important that we deal with those things. We get consumed by many things and we stop to see the opportunity and other people are seeing the opportunity. And I think the challenge is for many of us uh, to do the best in whatever corner we find ourselves in, to drive the agenda of regional economic integration and the, continent, the Africa Continental Free Trade Area, AFCFTA, is the tool that I think the continent has made available to all of us to engage with and to participate in. If you're an SME, start to think about where do I want to play in as far as this is concerned. If you're a global corporate, start to think about how you can add value in the process. If you're a regional corporate, whichever player you are, if you're a financial institution, think about what role financial institutions should play in accelerating and facilitating uh, free trade in the continent. And with those weights, um, you can see that I'm very passionate about this subject. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more people engaged on this agenda of driving the free trade area. Thank you very much. 
Thank Great. you. Just to recap and conclude on our thoughts in this entire series with Bohani, Allen, and Emma, we looked at how the existing African institutions can be revived in order to make the implementation of the trade agreement not only possible, but also a success. We learned that there is an allowance for the least developed countries to have a slower adoption to the standards. We then looked at the losses that come with counterfeit goods in trying to emphasize on the advantages that come with the AFCFTA, which are the uniform or standard quality assurance across the continent. We discussed how important it is for the individual African countries to take advantage of their unique competitive advantage, so to benefit from the AFCFTA. We also praised the inclusivity of the treaty, in particular being the inclusion of women and the youth. We noted that though the AFCFTA only applies to disputes among member states, we suggested that there should be an opportunity for the legal framework to expand further so to include disputes occurring between private individuals, and that we needed enforceable remedies and sanctions that can serve as a recourse for parties. Finally, we discussed the difficulties of our few payment systems and methods which play a critical role in the operationalization of the trade agreement. And we urge our innovators to innovate on a way we can transact beyond our countries in a simple yet efficient and affordable manner. Perhaps this could be one of our future episodes. Keep listening. We're grateful to our guests. Bohani, Emmanuel, and Alan for sharing such rich insights on a very timely topic. Special thanks to our producers, Ben Koyo and Rodney Chimone. We're even more excited about our growing listenership. Do stay tuned. Subscribe to Trade Talk Africa through Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And if you found this discussion useful, do share widely and leave us comments and suggestions.